Thank you for listening to this sermon by Grace Point Church. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at gracepointaz.com, or better yet, come be our guest on a Sunday morning. Good morning, Grace Point Church. Thank you for being here. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? If you'd like to follow along with the reading and you need a Bible, they can be found in the seatbacks in front of you. If you don't have a Bible at home or if you know someone that needs a Bible, you can go ahead and just take this one, give it to them. Uh, We would love for you to have God's Word in your hands throughout the week. Today's scripture will be taken from the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 17 through chapter 4, verse 1, and can be found on page 981. Follow along with me as I read. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Would you please pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for this church. Uh, Thank you for Pastor Tyler. I pray that you would speak through him this morning. Uh, I pray that you would open our eyes our hearts and our ears to hear what you have for us this morning, Jesus. And I pray that we would follow you uh, and respond uh, to the good news of the gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. Thanks, Pastor Rob. Well, I want to start off the sermon by telling you guys uh, about a story of when I made the basketball team. And I guess it's less of a story and just about what happened. But um, I was in eighth grade and I ended up making the middle school uh, basketball team. And I didn't play basketball very much. Um, I played a couple like recreational seasons. Um, I wasn't any good. In fact, uh, in f- that year in eighth grade, I was in the middle of a game and I would get nervous when I'd get the ball. And I ended up shooting a three from like the side. So I didn't have a backboard. And I shot that three and the ball went behind the backboard out of bounds. So I shot it out of bounds. It's pretty interesting. So they named that shot the Thule shot. And that was like what everyone called around school. That's the Thule shot or that's the Tyler shot. And so uh, whenever someone would do that. But I want to tell you that I wasn't good. And because I wasn't that good, I was on the bench uh, for most of that season. Uh, I I would play like two to four minutes uh, a game. Whenever we were in the lead and it was halftime or in the lead and it was the end of the game, they would uh, let me go in. And I was like, sweet. And I don't even think I scored. I don't even think I made a basket um, that year. But to say all that, I grew up playing soccer. That was the big thing I played. I played soccer for 15, 16 years, something like that growing up. I played a long time. And one of the things in soccer is I was not used to being on the bench. I was used to being on the field. And so when I got put on the bench in basketball, all I wanted to be was out there playing. Like I just wanted to be on the field and in the game. I never wanted to be on the court so much in my life than when I was sitting on those, on those benches. But too many times in our life, we will be benched. We'll be put on the sidelines and we're not in the game. And the problem is not when you are on the sideline, but it's when you get comfortable on the sideline, when you get comfortable being on the bench. Oh yeah, my team's got it. They'll carry the weight. That is where it gets to where it can be damaging. When, when we get stagnant, when we don't care, we as human beings, more so even as Christians, if you believe you should not be comfortable with being on the sideline 
of God, being on the sideline for God. We should wanna be in the game on mission for him. And so Paul, he's gonna tell us today that we need to press on. We're gonna talk about how we need to press on and we need to get in the game. And so um, to understand what we're gonna be talking about today, we gotta go back to what we talked about last week a little bit. So if you missed last week, um, you can totally podcast the sermon later or you can YouTube it, Facebook it, whatever. We've got it on all those platforms. Um, But I'm just gonna give you a quick uh, catch up spiel about what we talked about last week. So if you remember last week, Paul said that it isn't from our works that we get saved. There's nothing that we can do to get saved. In fact, Paul ends up going on saying like, look, if it was for our works, like I've done everything right. Like according to like the Old Testament, like I followed the law as good as I possibly could. He's not saying it was perfect, but he's saying as as good as I possibly could, I would have earned my way. He's like, but that's not how it works. That's not how it works. So the legalistic person we talked about last week, they'll say, man, we need to work our way to heaven. We need to keep crossing our fingers, going to these ceremonies or these ritual things that we do, um, you know, asking God to forgive us over and over again. And and, but uh, but we're we're thinking our mindset is like, man, everything I do is right, or I'm I've got to do good works to get to heaven. So really, what they're doing is they're climbing this ladder of righteousness, this ladder of good works, only to figure out that they're on the wrong building. The ladder doesn't lead up to heaven; it leads somewhere else. And then you've got the humanistic person that they'll say, hey, you just need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Like God helps those who help themselves. So get going, it's all on you. And the Bible doesn't say that. Then you have the Christian that would say, man, it's the Christ-centered view. It's about having the gospel in mind. It's all about the gospel, the gospel of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and then raising three days later. And then if you believe you get everything he did right and, and we get, or he gets everything that we did wrong. And so um, works are not good enough. That's the point I wanna drive home before we jump into the scripture is it's not about our works. So if we jump to verse 12, verse 12 says this. It says, not that I have already obtained this. And by this, he's saying God's grace, God's saving grace or salvation. It talks about in verse 11. So not that I have already obtained this or I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made it his own. So Paul starts off with verse 12 saying, look, I couldn't earn my way. If anyone could, I would have earned it. He said, I can't earn my way. I'm not perfect, but one day I will be. He's given us that idea that one day we will be perfect in heaven when we make it to heaven. That day when we get perfect bodies. I don't know about you guys, but like my body is not perfect. Like I totally threw my back out this week on Monday. And I was like, like what? And when I tell you, you guys are gonna laugh probably, but I literally was doing dishes. And I had bent down like a dozen times, maybe two dozen times to put forks in, take forks out, all that stuff. And for some reason on this one time, I tweaked the the left side of my back and I was in pain for the next few days. And I was like, goodness gracious, like what's going on here? Our bodies are not perfect. We're not perfect. And after Paul says that he isn't perfect, he says, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made it his own. See, Paul's saying, I'm gonna do everything that God wants me to do. I'm gonna live my life for him because Christ Jesus has made it his own. And last week I ended the sermon with this awesome um, phrase from this great song saying, Jesus paid it all, right? And then the second line of that, it says, all to him I owe. And my question to you guys, I want you guys to chew on this all sermon is do you really feel like you owe everything to him? Jesus paid it all all to him I owe. So do you actually think, do you feel like, do you operate in the mindset of man, all to him I owe? Paul is saying, Jesus went the distance when we couldn't. There's nothing that we can do. 
All we can do is believe. There's nothing, there's no works that will get us there. He did what I couldn't do and he did it for me and he did it for you. And therefore I, I owe it all to him. And so can you say that too? Think about that. Another way to say it is, do we follow his word? Are we obedient to what he calls us and tells us to do? Another way to say that one is, is he your Lord? Or are you Lord of your own life? Do you allow him to be Lord of your life? Or are you the Lord of your own life? See, it's not always easy to follow or to allow God to be the Lord of our life. We, we have to deny our own desires sometimes. We have to put away our own sins. We need to say, hey, I'm, not, I'm, I'm done. I'm done committing adultery. I'm done watching pornography. I'm not gonna do it anymore. We gotta say, I'm done fibbing or telling white lies. Or we can just tell what it really is. It's a, it's a full lie, even though you think it's not. Sometimes it's our desires that are selfish. Lifting, lifting yourself up and not others. Putting yourself on that pedestal saying, man, look what I did. I mean, it feels good when someone says, hey, good job. Oh man, you got this award at work. But when you start putting yourself up there and you start believing like, man, I'm better than all these people. That's where you get it wrong. Sometimes those desires, what they'll do is they'll pull us further away from Christ instead of closer to him. So we need to watch what our desires are. Think about intentionally reminding ourselves, what is our desires? Do we desire to follow his word? See, many times we will tell ourselves, well, my sins, they're forgiven. Like I believe in Jesus. I prayed, I got baptized. I did all these things. And man, I can live my life however I want. I don't have to follow his word, right? We'll say, I am forgiven. It says he will forgive me. And what you're essentially saying, you're saying you're minimizing what Jesus did on the cross. And what you're saying is, man, I'm the Lord of my life. He's not. So what you're doing is it's, it's really stabbing your best friend who laid everything on the cross for you. And you're saying, I'm just gonna do what I want. You're stabbing your best friend in the back who laid down his life. So Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? All right, let's dive in. So verse 13, it says this, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. He's saying, man, I couldn't have made it myself and neither can you. There's nothing that we can do to make it. Don't fall in that trap. See, Satan is really tricky these days. A couple months ago, I had said, man, back in the day, hundreds of years ago, like Satan would possess people and he would use that. And we see that exemplified throughout the Bible where like, man, the Christians have to, or God, Jesus has to cast these demons out of people, right? And I'm not saying that doesn't happen anymore, but what I'm saying is Satan's gotten smarter. He's gotten trickier. He'll use our culture to make us and pull us down in sin. He'll use the things that we talk about around here is usually money, sex, and power. Those, those kind of embody almost everything in our culture in America today. And so he will use those things to pull us down and pull us away to where we become our own Lord, where we feel like, man, I'm the God of my own life, where Jesus isn't the Lord of our life. Then Paul continues, he says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So I don't know if you guys know anything about cross country or track. Like I, I, I did cross country for one season, just like I did basketball for a couple seasons. Um, man, I'll tell you a couple things I learned from cross country. I learned that running really stinks. It sucks. And then the second thing I learned was that I've got to keep my eyes forward. I've got to keep looking forward and I got to try to beat the guy that's in front of me. Not turning around, looking at the guy I already passed. I need to focus on the dude in front of me. I need to focus with my eyes forward. And then the third thing I learned, I'll just say it again, because running just, I'm not a fan of running. In fact, if you're going to run, you might as well run for a purpose. 
The finish line to me, that's not a purpose. Like I want to like run to go score a touchdown or shoot a basket or score a soccer goal. Like I, I've got to have a ball in my hands or on my feet that I'm playing with, right? Like running just to get to the finish line is not for me, but it was for these two guys back in 1954. Um, there was these two guys, I don't even remember their names, uh, but I was listening or watching a, a video about these guys and they were like big athletes. In fact, both of these guys beat four minute miles which years before that people had said, it's not humanly possible for someone to run a sub four minute mile, but these two guys did. And then they decided, well, since we're the only two in the whole world that's done this, let's race each other. And everyone was like, I mean, they didn't have like a lot of TVs around back then. So they were listening on the radio. They were reading all these articles. Everyone was super excited to see these two champs go against each other in some kind of games. It wasn't like the Olympic games, but some kind of big game thing. And so um, what ends up happening is one of those guys ends up right at the end of the race. He turned around and he looked behind him to see where that last guy was. And when he turned around to do that, he slowed down just enough to where the other guy could speed up and beat him. He just, he sprinted a little bit faster, maybe a hair faster. And he got to that finish line before all because the guy took his eyes off of what he was looking at. He took his eyes off of the front and he looked back. And so that's what Paul is telling us. He's saying, forget what lies behind. Don't look back at the past circumstances. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Live from the new life that God has given you. And see, in this room, there is a lot of heavy and hard stuff that people have gone through. Things that have been done to you, things that maybe you've done to someone else, things that left physical and mental scars that are deep, deep pain, deep hurt, trauma, and this verse is not minimizing those things. It's not saying, hey, just forget about them and act like it never happened. That's not what Paul's saying here. Sometimes we have to engage those things. We need to go to counseling. We've got to go to a therapy or to a therapist. We've got to engage those things. In fact, I know like, I can't really speak for Paul, but I would imagine that Paul would encourage you if you're struggling with some of those things, hey, go seek counseling. Go seek a therapist. Go talk to somebody about this stuff and, and, and so that they can help you process it and get through it. But what this verse is saying is it's saying, don't operate from those feelings. Don't operate from that trauma. Don't operate from these bad things that have been done against you or the bad things that you've done against others. Operate from the good advice, the gospel. I'm sorry, operate from the good news, the gospel, not good advice. <laughs> All right, so what this verse uh, is saying is operate from the gospel. The gospel is not this simplistic thing. The gospel is far reaching. It can cover anything and all things that have happened on this earth. Jesus died for all the sins. It covered everybody's. And to get to that point where you don't operate from who you were or the old you, sometimes that can be a long process. We have to undo old habits maybe. Maybe you're in some kind of abusive relationship, relearning how to do certain things for yourself or even relearning how to do certain things because you, you were abused or sheltered for so long or whatever the situation is. Sometimes we have to recalibrate our minds and our hearts. And maybe something evil has happened to you. And maybe you just think, man, evil's out to get me. Evil is out to get me. This is what we need to be operating from. We need to operate and live from, you are accepted. That's what God says. We need to operate and live from, you are set free. You are forgiven. You are redeemed. And you've been raised again into a new life if you're a believer in Christ. Give all that fear, all that guilt, all that shame and put it on Jesus because that's what he died on the cross for, for you and all your sin. Amen. Know that Jesus has taken all that sin and killed it and he put it to death. He crushed it. 
And all you gotta do is just believe. And one day he's gonna put Satan, sin, and death in hell forever. He's gonna cast him out and there will be, it'll be a perfect world again. It'll be perfect. So don't live in the light, don't live in light of what happened, but live from what Jesus did for you. Instead of saying, look at all these things that I've done or all these things against me that's happened. Why don't we say, let's rest in the confidence of Christ. He's got you. So that is what we need to live from. But now I'm gonna talk about what we need to live for. We need to live for what he's called each and every one of us, if you're a Christian today, to do. He's called us to love others well, lifting them up as we lower ourselves. It's so easy and fun to lower or to lift yourself up. Like, man, I feel good. Like it makes you feel good. But what we need to do is we need to be humble. We need to lift others up and lower ourselves. We need to tell other people about Jesus's saving grace and his good news and living from the new identity that Christ has given you. That's what we need to do. We need to live for those things. So how you live your life right now, it's gonna lead to two things. It's going to lead to either future reward or it's going to lead to future regret. And the Bible says, I don't know what the rewards are, but it's saying, hey, how you live your life on this earth, there will be rewards in heaven for it. And we have different things in our life, the time, talents, money, gifts, even feelings and heart. Like we have different feelings and different heart, uh, like different emotional things we're going through that other people might not be going through. And what we do with those things, he's saying it will affect eternity. So don't let those things rule you. Don't use those things to be disobedient to God and not listen to him. We should use those things, the time, the talents, the money. We should use all those things to glorify and follow our creator. And Paul says, deal with and process these things that, ha- that are behind you. Like he's saying, face these things, process these things. And then once you do that, then move forward. In fact, he says, strain to what lies ahead. See, the thought of straining is uncomfortable. I told you guys I did cross country, soccer. I was big into sports. And so I had strained or pulled muscles frequently. And to overstretch a muscle is painful. It's uncomfortable. You will go through a lot of... Um, pain mentally. And sometimes in life, we'll go through mental pain and physical pain. When we challenge ourselves, when we put ourselves out there for the mission of Jesus, that's one of the things that is almost, I'll say this is actually guaranteed that you will go through some kind of mental and physical pain for Jesus. People probably, they they might laugh at you. They might mock you. People will get angry just because you said the name of Jesus. Like we live in this culture. I see it all the time on Facebook. That's right. I watch some of you guys. But I see you guys are like, man, people are so offended these days. People just get offended, right? People get so offended. But the one thing about Jesus is hundreds of years ago, before people were easily offended, people still got uh, provoked and offended from the word Jesus, from people telling them about Jesus. They already got offended. See, people will hear it and they will be provoked They will want to earn their way in this world. And when you tell somebody there's nothing that they can do to earn their way to heaven or earn their way to God, except believe there's no works they can do, they're gonna get offended. It's gonna hurt them. They're gonna get angry. People will be, or people want to be in control. I don't know about you, but I like to be in control. Like I like to know what's gonna happen. When things go out of control, it's it's frustrating. You have to adapt and overcome, right? But we want to be seen as powerful and not weak. People want control. When I walk into the room, when I walk into the gym, like I don't want people to be like, that's the weakest dude in here. I don't think any of us wants to look weak, right? We want, we want to look powerful. We want to look strong. And they will begin, uh, 
And well, some people will think of you or even God as trying to control them. They will think that you or God is trying to control them and they will begin to feel trapped and want to fight that idea that Jesus paid it all. But that is the thing, is it isn't the control that we give up when you get saved. It's a gift that you receive. It's not control that you're giving up. It's a gift that you received. And from that gift, it changes everything about us. Your heart will change. Your heart will want to follow Jesus, to do what Jesus asked us to do. It isn't about giving up the control we have, but it's taking that control and that responsibility that God's given you and honoring it to God, giving it to God with those things. Not because we have to, but because we want to. It's not because we have to, it's because we should want to because all to him I owe because Jesus paid it all, right? So I want you guys to picture this long rope. Think about me having a rope in my hand, the end of a rope. And the end of this rope goes through this entire building, goes through all the rooms. Then it goes outside of our front doors. It goes all the way down to the sidewalk, up the sidewalk into the Target parking lot. And it goes in front of Target and it just keeps going and going and going. This long rope, really long rope. And then that piece I have in my hand, I want you to think about this little three or four inch piece. I'm gonna wrap it up in duct tape. And you're only gonna see the duct tape and then you'll see a bunch of rope. And that duct tape portion, what that means is that rope is our life, our eternity. That duct tape portion is our life on earth. It's this small little portion that if we're lucky, you'll get a hundred years in this little area, a hundred years. And why do we spend all of our time, our energy and our effort right here in this little spot, right? Work hard right here, save money right here. And then I can enjoy it all right here in retirement, right? We put all of our focus on this little area right here. If that is true, well, 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 let me say this. God says what you do with this little section of, of our life on this earth, it affects all of eternity. What we do in this little section is gonna affect the rest of your life and eternal life. It affects the rest of the rope. And so if that is true, which it is, why are we so focused on these worldly things? I'm like, man, I gotta make sure I'm wearing the right clothes. I gotta make sure I look good. Man, what school do I go to? Oh, I want that car, that's my dream car. Man, I want, that, I want that house, it's got a pool. I want a pool too. Like these things are good things, they're not bad things. The, the time and the way that they become bad things is when we take all these good things and we make them ultimate things. See, hear me, those things are good but God is way better. Jesus Christ is way better. And to live is Christ and to die is gain. But only if you live is Christ, where Christ is the ultimate thing in your life. He's the ultimate being in your life. Verse 14, it says this, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, when I read this verse, this is where all the sports analogies and the cross country and basketball, soccer, all this stuff came into my head because it's saying, hey, toward the goal for the prize, of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's saying, live for Christ as you press on, as you press forward toward the rewards that we're gonna get in heaven one day. Then verse 15 says this, Paul lays it all out. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Paul's saying, hey, like if you're a big boy or you're a big girl, if you're mature in your faith, this is what you will think. This is what you believe. And if you're not, what he's saying is, don't worry about it. Like you can push on and pursue God, push into the Bible, push into prayer. And what he says is God will reveal it to you. 
Verse 16, it says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. It says, be steady, be steadfast, not wavering to the sin, not wavering to this, this, this world's grip on us, this, this cultural stuff that will drag us down. He says, have endurance. Be surrounding yourself with strong Christian believers, not surrounding yourself with people of this world, people that only care about the little portion of the rope. Don't surround your, yourself with those types of people. And at the same time, we need to tell those people the good news. So it's a little mixed up here. You're like, wait, don't surround yourself, but we need to tell them the good news. We need to tell them the good news. We just don't need to let them have influence over our life. If someone is close to you, if they are of this world, they shouldn't be. If they're not of Christ, they shouldn't be the closest person to you. They shouldn't have that much influence over you. In fact, if you're the Christian and they're not, you need to have the influence over them. Don't let them pull you off of God's path. And then we jump to verse 17. It says this, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I haven't uh, often, I, or I'm sorry, I have often told you and now tell you even with tears. So Paul has tears in his eyes as he's writing this. And then I want you to listen carefully to the next part. They walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction and their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. See here, if you are a Christian, Paul is begging you to not be an enemy of Christ by following these earthly and sinful desires because it will all lead to your own destruction. He's talking about two people here. He's talking about Christians who walk the walk and Christians who talk the talk. So let's not be Christians that talk the talk, the ones that only talk because man, I know I'm a good Christian and I work my way up or, or whatever the mindset is. We need to be talking about living on mission and walking about living on mission. We need to tell people about Jesus. He said, those who just talk the talk instead of walking the walk, in verse 18, he says, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul does not take it lightly. He had tears in his eyes. He was hurting deeply as he said it. Anguish in his heart for the Philippian church. He wanted the Philippian church to walk the walk. He's hurting for those that aren't obedient to God, those who live their life however they want and they don't live it for Christ. That path that they're on, he says, it's gonna lead to their destruction. It says their end is destruction. So let's be the ones that walk the walk that actually live out the Christian life. The ones that are on mission, loving others well, even when it's hard. Some people aren't easy to love, but it's saying love others well. Lower yourself, lift someone else up. Sacrificing, sacrificially giving of your time, your talents and your money to see the unsaved become saved. Being obedient to God's word. See, Paul says, keep your eyes on Christians that are living out a Christ-like life to the best of their abilities. He's saying, imitate those who imitate Christ. So what are we even doing here on this earth if we aren't living for him? James says it like this. He says, faith, work, or faith without works is dead. What he's not saying is that it's faith plus works equals salvation. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, faith without works is dead. Meaning that man, when you believe, when you faith in Christ, he said, that will change everything about you. You will want to do the things of the Bible, the things that God tells us through, through his scripture. 
The works will just come naturally. He's saying, if there isn't evidence or fruit in your life by the way you live, then are you even saved? Faith without works is dead. Verse 19, Paul says this. He says, their God is their belly. And if you guys are like me, when I first read that, I was like, man, my wife makes Chinese uh, stir fry. Man, I, I, I tend to overeat. I become a glutton, right? I was thinking about like uh, gluttony. Like they said, their God is their belly. And I was like, I love food. But Paul's not talking about food here. Paul is talking about the appetite, the appetite, the things that you want, the things that you desire, the things that you crave. It could be a number of things. It could be money, sex, power. Those are the big ones that we keep talking about because that's, that's in our culture, but it could be possessions. It could be popularity. It could be the praise of other men, of other people in this world. Whatever it is to you, that you're focused on in the right here and the right now, if that is you, your God is your own cravings. Essentially, it boils down to you are your own God. You're not worshiping the God of the universe. You are worshiping the God of all your mind and your life. You're worshiping yourself. And because of that, if that's you, Paul says, you are an enemy of Christ, of the cross. I don't want any of us to be enemies of Christ today, enemies of the cross. And then in verse 20, it says this, but our citizenship is in heaven. From it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We will think our main priority or our main, our primary citizenship, we'll think it's in the US or of this world, or maybe just specifically in Arizona. Maybe you don't like the other 49 states. But when we think of citizenship, we'll typically think of our citizenship in this country. So right now you're right. We live in this world. We live in this country. And in this culture of Phoenix, we live in this culture of Phoenix, Arizona as well. But let's not be of Phoenix, Arizona. Let's be of Christ. Don't let culture dictate how you live your life. Let Christ. Don't let the unsaved dictate how you live your life. Let Christ. Don't let the money or the power or sex dictate how you live your life. Let Christ. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one. 31, it says this, but if we judged ourselves truly, if we judge ourselves truly, we should not be judged. See, when I read this, basically what he's saying is, hey, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. You know what I'm saying? He's saying, hey, check yourself first. Judge yourself and you will not be judged because if we are truly changed by God and we check ourselves, we should be able to start finding our sin. And sometimes we have blind spots and you have to have uh, other Christians around you to point those blind spots out. But he's saying, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Look at the wrong things that you're doing and fix them. Let Christ be Lord of your life and Lord over what you do. To love God is to be obedient to what his word commands of us. In Colossians 3.12, I usually don't jump around and grab a bunch of scriptures. Usually we just work through Philippians, but um, this one specifically is good because it's gonna tell us how to live out that Christ-like life. I read it in, in some other study I was doing this week and it was really good. It says this, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, which is, is not weakness. A lot of people think meekness is weakness, but weakness or meekness is power under control. It's great power, but it's controlled. And patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. See, Christ came and he died on the cross for you and to forgive you for all your sins, to forgive anyone who would believe all their sins. He did all that. 
And what he's saying is, man, because you're forgiven us so much, you should be able to forgive much. And sometimes we hold grudges. It's hard. But this is what he says, the last part. It says, and above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. See that last sentence, if you follow the other things, they'll just come naturally. If you love well, the other things will come naturally. If we love others well, then we will have the compassionate hearts. We'll have the kindness and the humility and the meekness and the patience to be able to forgive other people. So let Christ be the Lord of your life and Lord over what you do. Don't let it be yourself because if you let yourself be the Lord of your own life, I promise you, you will fail. Verse 20, it says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies. I know you guys are all looking at my bald head right now being like, that's a lowly body, right? <laughs> no, maybe not. It's pretty quiet. But anyways, uh, I know that I've accepted my baldness. I'm all right with it. But man, our bodies, I just got done telling you guys, I threw my back out this week. Our bodies are lowly bodies. They're pathetic, especially compared to what we're gonna get. We have expanding waistlines, all these problems, right? But it says, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. See, Paul's saying he, meaning God, God will transform our weak bodies when we finally make it home, when we finally make it to heaven, when we get to spend eternity with Christ in his presence. That is the goal that we should be shooting for, to be able to honor him with everything we're doing on this earth. Back in uh, 2020 and 2021, I got deployed to Afghanistan. And man, I tell you what, I've never missed my wife and kids so much than being on that deployment. It was really tough. And in that deployment, we were right there smack dab in the middle of a war zone. If you think about like the base that I was on, um, think of it like this, like a prison. I don't know if you guys seen Prison Break or other prison movies where they're trying to escape. But like, you see how they cut through the first fence or they dig under it or climb over it, whatever they do. Then they have another fence to get through. See, I was in between that first fence and that middle fence before they got to everybody else on base. And I just fixed computers. I just fixed all the special forces dudes' computers. So like we had the Rangers with us. We had the top notched elite soldiers fighting for us in that little buffer zone to protect the rest of the base. And I got to fix computers. (laughs) But to hear the sound of those alarms that would go off, the sirens that would start ringing. And then all of a sudden you'd hear over the big voice of the base, the big speaker, you'd hear incoming, incoming, incoming. Incoming, incoming, incoming. To hear that, it it made me realize that I've never been more away from home than ever. As those mortars and those rockets landed around our building, in those moments, it wasn't hard for me to feel like, man, I don't belong here. I don't truly belong here. I was not home. And the only reason I was there is because I signed on the dotted line and I told the government, hey, I'll do it, I'll do it. And I doubt that when you woke up this morning, that you woke up and said, man, I don't belong here. I doubt that you woke up and you said, man, I'm not home. The only reason that I'm here is because the King Christ has given me a job to do. I doubt that's what we said. And we need to have that heart to say that. We have to see this place as temporary. We can't see this place as our home. We can't get comfortable here. Get comfortable on the sidelines, comfortable on the bench, not working for Jesus. We have to be focused on the one that we love. And so when you deploy, it's not always easy. It's not fun. There's some fun things. It's rough. But I remember like being on deployment, I played more ping pong in Afghanistan than I probably did in the U.S. my entire life. Like I became a ping pong master. 
just kidding. I, uh, I thought I did, but then I didn't win any of the tournaments. So anyways, but that moment when you see your family again and you're reunited when your wife and your kids wrap their arms around you, man, there's nothing like it. You guys have seen the videos, right? Where there's crowds cheering like, welcome home, welcome home, right? In that moment, you forget about the struggle. You forget about all those things. All those things fade away. You are home. You are with the people you love. That moment is incredible. And living the Christian life at times, it's going to be difficult. But if we keep our eyes on God, the reward will be so good and so worth it. We aren't home yet, y'all. But when we get there in heaven, everyone in heaven, the angels, everybody, they're gonna be cheering. And they're not gonna be cheering. They're gonna be saying, welcome home. They're not gonna be cheering for you. They're gonna be cheering for what Jesus has done for you, what Jesus has done for them for what he's done for us. They will say, welcome home, because that is where our primary citizenship is. And then we jump to chapter four, verse one. This is the last verse, we'll wrap it up. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. He's saying, let's stand firm in our faith. Let's walk the walk. Let's press on, keep the faith. Don't, I don't want, any of us to be enemies of the cross this morning. I don't want any of us to have that mindset, whether you're saved or unsaved, let's not have that mindset of, man, I gotta work my way to heaven. Man, like, let's not, let's not say that we're enemies of the cross. Let's follow Christ closely. If you're a Christian and you felt like, man, I feel like this guy is like talking about me. He's been watching my Facebook feeds or something. Like, just know that's the Holy Spirit working on you. Also know this, don't shoot the messenger, please. But, um, but also I wanna say like, man, it is not too late to repent. If that's you, you can turn away from whatever sin you're struggling with, whatever you're going through. And if you're here and you aren't saved, man, I wanna tell you this, man, I wanna tell you what God did for you. He sent his only son. He sent his only son down to come and live this life that we couldn't live, this perfect life, righteous life, doing everything right. Only to, to get put on a cross and to get beaten to get bloody, to get bruised for you and then crucified on the cross. He died for all those sins, everything that's happened in this world. If everyone would believe, man, that's what he covers, everything. And he did it that you might believe, that you might believe. All you have to do is to believe because he did everything else for us, y'all, everything. So if you're saved, I wanna say this last thing, let's not be idle Christians just sitting on the bench, letting everyone else get the game time and happy with it. Let's not say, man, someone else will tell them the gospel. Someone else will invite my neighbor to church. Someone else, they'll be the players on the field. Let's get off the bench and let's be active. Don't look back, press on, press forward, walk the walk. Go share the good news and remember where our primary citizenship really is.